I want to talk to you today. I, I could, I'm going to talk about some promises that we have for this journey we're in. I thank God for His Word. How many of you love the book? I love the book, don't you? And I look at, at this world we're in, and I, I, can't, I can't keep from, from watching what's happening. I say I'm going to put it aside a while because it bothers me, but I, how many of you know that the Scriptures tells us Jesus said, don't worry? How many of you know it says don't worry? Keep your hand up. How many of you worry? <laughs> I mean, there's something about us that we, we hear it. I, but I, wanna, I could talk about worry. The word actually worry means to divide the mind. And that's, what, that's one of the greatest tricks of Satan today, to get even the Christian's mind on, in a different direction. I want to bolster something. I want to put all this concept of what the world's going through and what it's doing in our mind today. And then I want to give us something, God's promises, for this journey that we're on. I don't have to remind you that our world is changing. I have searched my mind. It, it, I can only speculate, ladies and gentlemen, what the unbeliever is thinking deep in my mind. I don't know what they're thinking. I cannot figure what they're thinking the future is going to be 10, 20, 30 years from now if the Lord tarries. I, I, a sense of security and a sense of safety and a sense of life is going to go on as usual, even in the United States. I want to declare to you that's in question now. We do not know what our country is going to look like 10 years from now. We do not know. And to be brutally honest, I will tell you that the American way of life that I've known all of my life is changing. Whether for the good or whether for the bad, it is changing. And, but I will say, whether we like it or not, it's changing. I'm not per se against change, especially if it progresses us because I believe God's a progressive God. But if it's deteriorating and disintegrating, and that's my concern because we're leaving the principles of that which this nation was established on and say what you want, it's still the best nation that's ever been on planet Earth. The American way. These things trouble me deeply. They trouble me as an American. They trouble me as a patriot, as a husband, as a father, a grandfather, and let me say even as a pastor. But I want to declare to you, my troubled spirit is not out of fear of what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't understand all that. But my faith promises me that God has it all in control. God is sitting back watching His plan unfold. But it doesn't mean that you and I are not affected by it. And it doesn't mean there's not a spiritual battle that we must win. My troubling spirit is out of this. It's out of a sense of responsibility. As a leader, a pastor, a shepherd, a dad, is my life, is my life, testimony, my influence, the ministry God has given me, my witness, is all that exemplary enough to keep us in the faith till the Lord returns? Because the Word says that many are going to fall away. I do not want that. For one person in this building. This uncertainty of the present day has its way of entering into even the consciousness or subconsciousness of the mind, even the Christian. 
I said worry means to divide. I want to share with you, there is a dividing of thinking going on in this world. And can I say, especially in the United States, you and I need to be aware of how our minds are trying to be controlled to take a side. And if our minds are undisciplined, they can become a a, a faith-defeating tool of our enemy. I want you to know, none of us are beyond Satan's desire to trick us. So I want to point you to the book of Exodus. It's a book about uh, of great importance. It's an exciting story, but I want you to see it as it is not only in its history, but in its present and in the future. It is this. The book of Exodus is God's delivering Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And then it moves them to protecting and sustaining them through the wilderness wandering and eventually bringing them to Canaan, the promised land. That's the picture of Exodus. And thank God for that picture. Why, Pastor? Because it is the Old Testament picture of your and my New Testament spiritual journey. Theirs was physical. Ours is spiritual. Out of the world of bondage that you and I were in, into the freedom of forgiveness and the liberty and mercy and grace of God. And then the full inheritance we have in Jesus Christ and a hell to shun and a heaven to attain. So let me share with you the first 18 chapters of Exodus talks about our redemption. The first 18. Chapters 19 through 31 is the covenant chapters. The moral laws how to have a civil society. Ladies and gentlemen, a society without rules, a society without laws is pandemonium. And so we need to understand that it it upsets me deeply when people say rules are made to be broken. I want to tell you something. Rules are made to give us a perimeter by which we can have a civil society. So those 19 through 31, those laws. And then 32 through 40 is Israel's response to the redemption plan and to the covenant. For today, I want us to go to chapter 23, which is that segment that talks about the laws and the covenant. God gave great instruction to Israel then and to us today. He set forth, watch this, we won't read this portion, the first few chapters of of 23 Exodus, he gives us three festivals. Three festivals while Israel was wandering in the wilderness. But I want to share with you, before we see them, God gave Israel seven festivals that were given when they came eventually into the promised land, Canaan. Three while they were moving, seven when they arrived. And it's like saying this, There will be some things in Canaan, in the end, the land of promise, for us, heaven, that you won't receive while you're on your way there. But while you're on your way, here are three things while we're moving that is important. He said, have this feast, the feast of unleavened bread. That speaks of the separation from sin, the leaven of sin, that reminded Israel every year you were to separate yourself from your sins. 
that was a reminder. Secondly, God said, have this festival. You have the festival of, or the feast of first fruits. It is the first, here's the idea, the first of what God has given you is returned as worship to Him. And here's the principle. If you will give God the first part, then you will not withhold any other part. But I want to tell you something. There's something wrong with your relationship with God if you won't put God first in your life and bring your first fruits to Him. You say, Pastor, am I not saved? That's between you and the Lord. But I'm telling you, your relationship with God is not a right relationship if you do not bring the first fruits of your life to God. God has always required first place. There'll be no other God, including you and your way and your concept. And let me just say it while I'm here, because I, I'm a pastor. If you don't bring your tithe and offering to the Lord, don't tell me you're right with the Lord. Your relationship is skewed. He is not first. You're trusting yourself more than God. God, I can't trust you with it. I trust me with it. I want to tell you something. Get past that and get on the blessing side and realize that God has a lot more in store for you than you can do on your own. He said, if you give, I will cause men to give to your bosom good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Listen, God can do more for you than you can. The third one was this, the Feast of Ingathering. Gathering at the end of the year when the harvest had been gathered in the fall because it has ripened and Israel had enjoyed it now all year long. And in their month, what we call late March, God said, I want you to celebrate with this Feast of, of Ingathering. It was to remind the worshiper that all through this year, God of our providence, he had provided again the needs of the year. These three feasts were to mind Israel of God's mercy and God's goodness. Now, having set three decrees, God said this, and I'm paraphrasing, we're going to read it. I set these three memorials and I expect you to obey them. I expect you to keep them. Now having said that, here's what God, and I'm going to summarize it. God said this, I will do certain things for you. I will bless you. And he makes promises. But he says, in return, I will require certain things of you. And let me just declare there's nothing wrong or unfair or unjust at all about God requiring some things of His creature. After all, it is God who created it. It is God who is Lord over all of it. It is God who has provided it. And He, ladies and gentlemen, is still a wonderful God. And God remains a wonderful God if forever He is good, even if He did nothing else good for us from now on. Well, do you believe that or not? If God never did another thing for us, He's been good to us. So listen to some important words, Exodus chapter 23. I'm going to look. You can, I guess you have your phone or your iPad or a Bible. I'm, after, after those three feasts, watch at verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have promised or prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. 
But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, get the picture, God is speaking, God is ministering through his angel to his people as they travel. If, if you will obey his voice, all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. How many of you want God fighting on your side? Watch what he says about the enemies. For my angel will go before you, bring you to all the Ike brothers. We'll go down to 24. You will not bow down to their gods. You will not serve them, nor do according to their works or their words or their deeds. But you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. Let me tell you why God said that. Because all the other covenants Israel had been through, and even some subsequently, Satan always pulled this worry, divided mind on God's people, and here's what happened. They would say, well, it can't be too bad to do this. God gave this absolute commandment, but this makes more sense. And this God began to be pulled in in what's called syncretism. And, and then God was being worshipped. And yes, but so were other gods being worshipped. After all, have you seen a bumper sticker says, why can't we just all live together? Have you seen those bumper stickers where you have all the symbols? Don't ever fall for that kind Look. Look, it's good to get along, and yes, we're, we, we should believe, but I want to share with you something, ladies and gentlemen. All those other belief systems are they not eternal. Secretism, the blending of all religions together into one, has never, ever worked. It never will. There's only one way to the Father. All these others, no, none of them died for you. None of them paid that price for you. Let me go on, verse 23. So you shall serve the Lord and your God. He will bless your bread and your water. That means he will bless you with food and raiment and everything you need. I will, watch this. When you put first fruits, God keeps us from things we don't even know. He said, I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fill the number of your days. I Watch this. He says, I will send fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs on you. I, I want to stop and say, you know what that means? They're running from us. They're, they're moving on. God has done something. I'd rather see their back than their face, hadn't you? Watch 28. I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hittites, Canaanites, and all that. 29. I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Watch the instructions of the Lord. I will not drive them out in one year. Lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Do not miss this lesson in the Word of God. They were not, Israel did not number enough. They didn't have the power to control all the place that God wanted them. The beast would take over. Israel would not multiply in population quick enough. So next verse, God says this. Little by little, I will drive them out, the enemy, from before you until you have increased and you inherit this land. I want to tell you, God knows how to take care of his people. 
Lord, add your blessing to your word today. So God said this, I will give you promises, and I'm going to make them absolute. You can guarantee it, but this will depend on you fulfilling some things on your part. For example, God says, I present to you salvation. It's a free gift, but it has to be accepted on our part. David said, as the psalmist, he said, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Let me be clear to a young generation today. God says, as you go into this land, there are three things I'm going to do. Please make applicable these applicable to your life. But I want to say, God never forces anyone to do anything. It is all about your choice and your will. And God is not angry trying to destroy us all. He says, here's three things. Let's make them applicable today. To your life, to the Word of God, and to the last days in which we live. Here they are, three points of the message. First of all, God's, pr- God's promises for our journey or the case against worry. First of all, he said, I will send my angel before you. <laughs> the study of angels is quite an interesting study. It's, a, it's an amazing study. Lots of things could be said about angels. I could go in a dozen different directions here, but let me just speak to this. It speaks here where God said, I will send my angel before you. It speaks of a special divine presence of God himself inside the nation of Israel. Generally, God was invisible. Sometimes he would show himself to Israel in a pillar of fire, a cloud by day, a fire by night, and on. But he said, this is my angel. He will be my presence. And this unseen, marvelous, protecting, guiding presence was for two particular purposes. Number one, we read it. He said, I will keep you. The word keep means garrison, protect. It's a military term that I will use everything within my might to see that you are taken care of. Secondly, he says he will bring you to a prepared place. I want to share with you what comfort, ladies and gentlemen, and what joy and what security should be ours today in the New Testament to know that God's promises are so absolute. He invisibly keeps us. He invisibly directs us toward His desire for us. Our problem is that we question it And we mix this world and we miss it because we don't stay connected closely to God. And we rationalize and make the, can I just say it, the dumbest decisions. Pastor, you ever made dumb decisions? Please don't ask me that. Don't ask me once or twice or a hundred times or a thousand times. I don't want to answer it. But I want to tell you this, we make dumb decisions because we let we worry and we let Satan divide our minds about what God says and what the world says. A good question, I think, is to comp- contemplate is this. Where would you be? Where would we be if not 
for God's keeping and God's directing of our lives. Most of us must admit, special moments, turns in the road, decisions, incidents, are the incredible mercy and goodness of our God in keeping us and directing us. And let me say parenthetically in the New Testament, because there's mercy and great, and judgment is not nearly as swift to this Testament that it was the Old Testament's, even when we've disobeyed and disappointed God deeply, He has out of His mercy taken care of us. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, God has a prepared place for a prepared heart. And I want to declare to you today, just because you die doesn't mean you go to heaven. Sorry, God's not just going to say, oh, I love everybody, I just didn't mean that at all, because sin God cannot tolerate. It is unholy. Sad, ladies and gentlemen, how many have missed the prepared place because they didn't prepare the heart. We are prepared for heaven as God prepares our hearts, and we follow Him in obedience. And as God prepares our hearts, Hear me, he also disciplines our life. Now that brings hallelujah to us, doesn't it? God woos you and he draws you and he loves you and he said, obey me. I have all these promises for you. But ladies and gentlemen, if we disobey, those promises are not apropos to our life. It's that simple. But we don't want to hear that today. We, we like the grace and the mercy message, and so do I. But let's not get it out of bounds. Can I tell you it was in the New Testament that Jesus literally through the Spirit said, Do not do despot or despite to my grace. And here's something subtle. Because we get by with disobedience, and because we rationalize it so long, and because we don't do the things of God, and He's not first, we go along, we look like Christians, act like Christians, talk like Christians, everybody thinks we're, and we have a, the, to, the, today, ladies and gentlemen, the, the United States is filled with millions upon millions of people who say they're Christians, but their lives do nothing to bring fruit with them. And, and I, I just... God says as He prepares our hearts, He will bring discipline to our life. Watch this. As I travel, He says, as you travel, I will keep you, garrison you. He says this, no power is going to push you around. No power can assault you with any effect. I'll see to it. If you stay on my way that I designed for you, He said, your foot will not step in an unsafe place. He's saying to us, there is no viper hidden under the stones that pave the path that I have designed for you. So there's great promise here, but there's also great danger here. If you wander from this path, let me put a bottom line on it, there is no assurance of angelic protection. If you want to know why certain chapters in our lives turned out pretty badly, it's because we have not stayed on the path. So, God gives us some warnings. 
Listen to one of them. God said, beware of the angel. Strange word, beware. Let's see here. Uh, Holy Spirit writer. We believe Moses was inspired to write the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. Let's see. God said, I will protect you. I will guard you. I will guide you. I will minister God's goodness to you. God is saying, here's my angel. He's going to guide you, do all this. And then he says, beware of him. Beware of him? Beware of him. Young people, mom and dad, in a word, God said, keep a concept of my presence and what's here. In a world of cynicism and of scorn, and in a world with calloused hearts and broken spirits, we curtail within our lives any desire at all to revere anything. We have been so wounded and we have so been hurt that we are afraid to trust anything. Humanity today tends toward revering only self. I don't know about everybody else, but I know about me, and I'm the only one I can trust. Or we trust human philosophy. Or we trust religion. But listen to me as pastor. Never revere, young people, never revere religion. Never revere human philosophy. It has its place. But I want to declare to you, have a reverential awe only of Yahweh, Jehovah, God, and His Word. Period. Because everything else is going to pass away. All these opinions we have, all these polls we run, all the values that we think, God sits back and watches it, and it's going toward His plan. He said during this period, beware of my angel. The word beware in the Hebrew is shamar. It means be circumspect. Look narrowly. Observe purposefully. Pay direct purposeful attention. Beware of offending. Beware of disobeying this heavenly Creature, because my name is in him. Ladies and gentlemen, God will allow you to even curse his name and get repentance. He will allow you to curse the name of his son, but curse the spirit that he has placed in you to guide us and direct us and disobey him, and you bring judgment on yourself. How many of you know we don't want to hear anything about this kind of thing today? This, these are powerful words. Wow. He said, I will give you that angel, but be aware. Point two. He said, I will send my fear before you. I will send my fear before you. I read this and I go, uh, what does that mean? What, what, what is that about? So I want you to hear me. 
wherever, young people, please get this concept of our world today because it took me far too long. And there's millions and millions and millions of adults that don't have any idea what I'm talking about. So I want you to think with me. Mom and dad, grandparents, think with me. I want us to pull ourselves, in a sense, away from the earth and look back, look at humanity, and I want you to get this picture. Wherever the presence of God goes, there is always the fear on the part of the enemies of God's power. And that explains the persecution of God's people. It's because the enemy fears God's power that they seek to destroy the source of their fear, and that is God working through His people. That's why the world hates the church. So they come against that people where their prayers are answered, where God is on their side, and they know it, and they know He's eternal, and they want to destroy that. That's what's going on in this world today. That's why they're pushing Israel into that postage stamp world. That's why they still want to take it away from them. That's why the Christian is hated all over the world, even in our own country as I speak. And if you think politically they're not coming against Christendom, think again and wake up. Hello. Wow, it's most interesting as you view history to encounter the present world condition. And this present world is given over to humanistic philosophy. Back in the 60s, late 60s, the humanistic manifesto came into being and God was pushed out and man became his own God. Humanistic philosophies, humanistic religions, even now in our own nation, let me, let me put it in plain terms. Even in America, we are given over not to God trust, but to man trust. We trust human abilities. It should be no wonder that we who believe in an almighty God and we who see the blessings of God and the enemy sees us being blessed, a God who hears our prayers and answers our prayers and keeps us, and we are the one who are going to watch this angel and we're going to obey and we're going to heed the warning and we're going to live within the requirements rather than just the blessings and watch God bless us. It is no wonder they hate us. The definition of sin today is this. It's a philosophy and a desire that I want no one to tell me anything. I can do anything I want, think anything I want, behave any way I want. I can act like, be like, talk like, anything I want, and it's nobody else's business but mine. Here's where you're wrong. It's God's business. He breathed you into existence. And He'll bless you, but He says, I have requirements of you also. I look at this political realm, ladies and gentlemen, whether Democrat or Independent or Socialistic Party or Republican Party, I want to tell you something. I look back, all these people are just yapping and talking and talk and fussing and fighting and all the money, the billions of dollars. It's like a seething cesspool of all kinds of cynicism and lies. And I look back and I go, you think you're in charge? You're not in charge. Let's keep that in mind today, saints. They're not in charge. <laughs> you, you think I've lost my mind. Well, I'm a whole lot more at peace than most people. 
The genuine church in this world will continue to be persecuted because they fear the God of genuine power and he chooses to work through his people. And that's the reason, young people, hear me. That's the reason the Bible, Christianity, morality of any kind and a biblical worldview are under attack today. And that's the reason why those fellow employees that you work with who know you're a Christian and you actually believe this Bible, that's why they make fun of you and that's why they make it tough on you. They try to make you look foolish. So let me tell you something. Fallen men and women, mentally, spiritually blinded men and women and young people in our day want nothing to do with a God that has some requirements for living on this planet. It is the Almighty, ladies and gentlemen, that has the right to have some requirements, and it's actually Him they fear as He works through us. God said, I send my fear. As believers, He said for you and I to resist the devil, and he will flee. God said, I'll show you. Do you remember we read it? God said, I will show you your enemy's back. Young people, mom and dad, our enemy is strong. When our faith is weak. And evil always feeds upon the cowardice of goodness. And wickedness grows strong when God's people fail to oppose wickedness. But Satan has us afraid today in the wrong way. Here's our problem. Well, I don't want to be a target, Pastor. I see these people with money and they're evil and they're cynical and they come. I don't want to be a target. I just want to sit. And Satan tells me every time I leave this pulpit on Sunday and go to that foyer, Brooks, why don't you shut up and leave people alone? They just want to live their lives in peace and everything be sweet and knight in shining armor and a beautiful woman come along and we marry and have kids. We die and go to heaven. Just leave us alone. And I just go, that sounds so wonderful. The problem is I'm not called to appease you. The problem is I'm called to keep us in the confines of the Word of God. I'm called to see things as they are in this present darkness and to keep us, ladies and gentlemen. The world is a stage set where evil abounds and wickedness threatens and evil is arrogant. That is all because of two things. First of all, we and Israel, America and Israel, have stepped out of God's ways and become powerless without God's presence. And the world is attacking us. As a matter of fact, you don't believe it. The words were, America is the big Satan and Israel is the little Satan. That's their words. We are a target because we've lost the power. Secondly, is thus, when we have few principled, courageous, genuine, leading men and women who will and can oppose evil, we don't have them much. We don't want to get involved. I got invited to a meeting this week of legislators in the state of Oklahoma, some powerful people, powerful people as we would say, some very well-placed people, 
I do not know, well, I guess I do kind of why I got invited, but I, they, they want to form a state organization to stand up against what's going on in the legislature and in basically the laws in the state of Oklahoma. The question was presented to me, what do you think keeps us from doing that? Well, I didn't have very long to think, but I believe that it's because the Christians are afraid. We don't want to make ourselves a target because I want to tell you, if we stand for abortion today in a public way, we're going to be, what do you call it, opposed. Some people are going to come and, what do you call it, you carry flags and boards and all that, protest, and they all that kind of stuff. I, I, you know, here, here's the human reason. Pastor, don't put us as a target out there like that because if they come out there and protest us, what are we going to do? And what would we do if they came in the sanctuary? How are we going to handle that? They're bold enough to do that. But where's our boldness? Where's our power? They may even know it's pretty quiet. Pastor, what you want us to do, I want us to live right. Because if we live right, the power of God will be amongst us. And God said, I'll protect you. I'll keep you. I'll order your steps. I will make you see the back of your enemy. So let me say this, and I've got to hurry. The curtains, I believe, are about to open. Keep your eye, ladies and gentlemen, on God's remnant. Keep your eye on Israel. Keep your eye on America, but especially Israel. You know why? I want to tell you. God is going to have that nation. She will rise, and she will defend herself, and it is in the offing. Israel's going to defend herself. Keep your eye on her. God said, I'll send my fear before you. On another occasion, God said this, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. When God said that, three enemies came against Israel. And those three enemies slew each other. All Israel had to do was stand still and watch God bring confusion, and they destroyed each other, and all Israel had to do was go gather the spoil. And the word declared, the fear of God came upon the nations about, and none dared after that make war against Israel. This world's afraid of our God. The lesson for us is this. God has placed a wall of protection about us, and the future of our nation, ladies and gentlemen, is not in the hands of mere men. Jehovah is sitting back working his plan. His plan will be accomplished. The good news is this. If we walk up right before him and we put him first as he said, he said, your enemies will become my enemies, and your adversary will be my adversary. Ladies and gentlemen, I want God on my side. Thirdly, and I must hurry, I'll send hornets before you. I preached this several years ago and I, I, in another message. But interesting statement, though. Let me say this, and I'll be easing through. God said, I'll send hornets before you. An insect about an inch long with a stinger. But don't disregard them. Anybody in this room ever been stung by a hornet? 
Anybody here ever been stung by a scorpion? Boy, I have three of them one time. I want to tell you, you don't want this. <laughs> you don't want this. Commentaries and scholars have varied years and years on whether or not this is a literal literal thing, a hornet. Some consider it not literal, but some consider it symbolic, as if it's God's hands defending Israel. Some say consider it was a prophecy fulfilled, and when Joshua reminded Israel of their victory over two kings, which were two brothers of Goliath, their giants, they were named Sihon and Og. When they had victory over that, he said, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out, and not with your sword or with your bow. God was saying, I got this victory, and you're not going to claim it. It was my power. So they consider it symbolic. I, I'm going to let you study this word, and, 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 and the hornet sent it out. You can do that. You can make up your own mind, follow all the theology and things you want. But I just want to give you two thoughts I have about it, and I'm through. God said, I'm going to sing hornets among you. I just was thinking, how ironic, how ironic with all the weapons of warfare men have made through the ages, with the WMDs, weapons of mass destruction, with all the technology that nuclear weapons have brought to us and all the threats of arrogant boasting of military might. Ever since I was a little boy at 11 years old and I saw my first black and white TV, I saw Russia push all their big missiles and all their guns and all those things. Look what a mighty army we have. I've seen it in China. We see it now in North Korea. We see all these pictures. Do you know, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard back years ago that many if not most of all those big weapons that we saw on television paraded through Russia and China and all that were actually made out of cardboard and painted to make us look like we have a big, 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 big military power. Some of you historians find out if that's true. But I know one thing, we have a big enemy who sure wants to fool us. He comes as a roaring lion, but I'm going to tell you, according to the Scripture, he's a toothless tiger. Amen. We need to get that concept in there. But I look at all the, I just go, wow, how ironic. With all this of world destruction and the fear, how uncanny. How, how, how just like God, if you will, in a literal sense, an insect, totally outside of man's reasoning and beyond men's best military might, God totally wipes out a million-man army with a one-inch insect with a stinger. <laughs> I, God has a tremendous sense of humor, don't you think? I, I, I love that thought. I like to park there a while, but I better move on. Secondly, it filled my soul and it filled my spirit with a faith and an assurance that God supersedes all human ability. Saints, God's arsenal, be it big things, a flood that covers the earth, or insignificant things like a one stone and a sling of a little boy, or the jawbone of a donkey, or a nuclear warhead, or the sting of a hornet. God has all that arsenal under His command, and there is might, and under His protection are His saints. It's the same God. 
God drove out the enemy, but I, he said he did it little by little. Why? Here's our lesson today. Israel's numbers were not sufficient to keep the land clear, and the wild beasts would overpopulate it, and they weren't able to handle it all at one time. Isn't it amazing how toward you and me, we can't handle it all at one time either? Isn't it amazing how God is merciful to us? As you grow into responsibility, the hornets will go before you. I'll leave you with the land flowing with milk and honey. Isn't God amazing? Here it is. I wrote it. Hornets for the enemy, honey for the child. God is so good. God is so good. He fulfills and fills full his promises. How thankful and full of faith you and I should be in this late hour. The angel's presence, ladies and gentlemen, is with us today. The fear of the Lord going before us. He comes as we obey his commandments and we give him due regard in our obedience as he lives in us in a spirit and as he guides us and keeps us and directs us and protects us. Then he said, the hornets come. God's defeat of the enemy little by little as the need arises. So how in the world in 2019 are you and I supposed to live? We're supposed to live in faith. Here's how. Three points. Another message. I should have preached four of them, five of them. Number one, make your calling and election sure. If there is an unsaved person in your household, you need to be having a home altar. If there is someone at your place of business that is lost, make your calling and election sure. Make sure of your own salvation. Secondly, trust and obey. God will fight your battles for you. He goes before you, not behind you. He will cause you to see the back of your enemy. Thirdly, keep the faith. Look up. The promised land, ladies and gentlemen, they got there. Israel got to the promised land. It was called Canaan. And you and I are going to see heaven if we're obedient to the Lord. So far today, I have this, I have this powerful two questions. I have a question. What is the one thing today in every man, woman, young person in this building? What is the one thing today you know that God wants you to stop doing? What is that one thing? Here's the other question. What is the one thing God wants you that you know of, that you know, to begin to do? Here's why I'm talking. The Spirit of God will try time and again, time and again, time and again to keep you from a besetting sin. And He will stop you time and time again from doing what you know you should do. So watch this. And I'm going to pull all this back to a point. When Jesus said, do not worry, he is saying, do not let the enemy divide your mind. Do not listen to the absolute, fearless, never-changing word of God and then turn around and disobey it and let Satan convince you. And I'm ready to raise my hand, get prepared to raise yours. Isn't it amazing how quickly 
we know the one thing we should not do and how quickly we know the one thing we should be doing. One of these days, if the Lord tarries, we could all be like our sister, Pam. In eight days' time, nine days' time, she was here. She was here two weeks ago today in the foyer, just happy and jovial as Pam always is. I don't know if you know this or not, but I called her the firecracker lady. Because I always, I told her, you comb your hair like a firecracker, you know. How many of you remember Pam? Her hair just fire. Personally, I kind of liked it. I don't know that I ever told her that. But she had another name. And in the office, we called her Flashlight Lady. When we had the, three years ago, we had the uh, play here at Christmas, the Scrooge thing. We gave ushers flashlights to help people in ushering to step to step and all that. She was back here, and I gave her a flashlight, and I got to notice, and she was, however you come over here, let me give you a seat. And the light was just going every which way. And over here, all in the back, everybody was seeing the light flash on their backside, like what's going on. They turned around, and I went to Pam, and I said, Pam, keep the light pointed down. People are saying, oh, okay. You know how much that meant? I went a second time. I said, Pam, keep the flashlight down. Okay. You know how much that meant? I went, Pam, people are looking all over. Keep the flat. Okay, okay, okay. I didn't go back. I didn't go back. So ever since then, for three years, in the staff, she's the flashlight lady. And our rule is, don't give Pam a flashlight. <laughs> don't you love the fun stuff about people? About people. we got to be ready.